Welcome everybody, good morning to our distribution panel at the New York Lounge at uh, 2014 Sundance Festival. Uh, it's going to be a great treat for you guys today because we have an incredible group of panelists in the, who uh, work in all facets of the distribution industry. So you're going to get a lot of different and interesting perspectives on different ways that films can be distributed and are distributed by these people on the, on the panel. Uh, I'd like to introduce the panelists first and then I'm going to ask them all to uh, explain a little bit about themselves and their companies and then we'll get into some distribution uh, issues. If I get to my immediate right is Mike Jackman who is the co-chair of the New York Production Alliance as well as the EVP in, uh, of post-production at Film Nation Entertainment. Uh, next to him is uh, Joe Amade, who is the uh, president of Virgil Films. Next to him, Brian Parsons. Brian is overseas content partnerships for Tug. Next is Emily Best, who is the founder and CEO of Seed and Spark. Then Jason Ward, who is the founder and president of Candy Factory Productions. And finally, Andrew Murr of Snag Films. Good morning, welcome everybody. Uh, if you wouldn't mind, all of you just uh, go down the line and talk about yourselves and your company and who you are. Uh, I'm Andrew Murray and I head up acquisitions at Snag Films. Uh, this is going on my seventh year at this company and uh, we're sort of at the forefront of digital streaming. So we're a free streaming platform for all kinds of content. Uh, we started out as all documentary and then moved into uh, fiction films and uh, this year we'll be uh, really having a stronger focus on short form content. Hi, I'm Jason Ward. I'm with Candy Factory Productions. Uh, our motto is rethinking distribution. The concept is that we find films that really kickstart conversations and then carry them through uh, social media campaigns that really activate audiences for our, for our filmmakers. Hi, I'm, uh, so Seed and Spark is uh, the first uh, hybrid crowdfunding and distribution platform for independent film. So you can fund, follow, watch, and sh uh, share movies all on the same platform. And the reason we think this is a good idea is because there's no time when filmmakers are more motivated to go out and find their audiences as during the funding and production phase. But then what happens to that giant pool of audiences that's actively said, I want to fund films? Um, so we thought, what if we gave them a platform where as soon as they funded a film, we could say, here's a whole bunch of independent films you might not know about you could watch right now. Um, <clears throat> Our big, hairy, audacious goal is to participate in the rise of the creative middle class. Um, so we require that our filmmakers charge for their content and that audiences start to make uh, conscientious choices about consuming content where the creators are getting paid. I'm Brian, I'm with Tug. Um, we're a web platform for filmmakers and for audiences. We you know, crowdsource theatrical screenings as well as community screenings, as, um, you know, direct to fan engagements where you know, if you have this community support then you have the screening there. We take care of all of the operations so that filmmakers, so that studios can really handle the, the fun stuff which is you know, promoting their film, talking about their film and engaging with communities. Hi, I'm uh, Joe Amadei from Virgil Films and we are a, uh, the best way to describe this is a traditional film distribution company, indie film distribution company based in New York City. We've uh, been in business for about 10 years. About 10 years ago we came to this festival during our very first year in business and uh, 
We're very fortunate to walk away with the ancillary rights to a film called Supersize Me. Um, we didn't get it because they loved us or thought we were good looking or anything like that. Basically, no one wanted to touch it because of uh, fear of the big M. Um, and I took it hoping that McDonald's would sue because I'd make USA Today. So, um, but we are a traditional distribution company that specializes in, uh, not in documentaries, but also um, full-fledged DVD, all digital. Um, we like to take a film and put it up in as many places as possible to view so the filmmaker more importantly, the filmmaker can receive and, and earn the revenue that they deserve to make on the film. And, that, and if, if I could put a film on a bagel, I would do it. So any place that you can possibly show a film, we just, to be honest, we just started doing some business with Tug, because it's, it's another way of getting films seen. And um, even though we are traditional, most of our time is spent exploring, looking for new ways of distributing films, and that's kind of what we do. Um, I'm Mike Jackman. I'm the co-chair of the New York Production Alliance, um, which has uh, helped to put together the lounge here. We are an organization of organizations. Um, we are about uh, creating and promoting film, uh, media and entertainment jobs in uh, New York City and New York State. Um, we're, involved, uh, we're involved in lobbying for tax incentives um, and uh, very happy about our incentive program that uh, is in production and post-production now through 2019 in New York uh, State. Um, I'm also the executive vice president of post-production for Film Nation Entertainment. Film Nation um, is a production development company uh, found and and a international sales company. So um, we get hired to represent your film, uh, go out to uh, major markets, Cannes, Berlin, uh, Toronto, AFM, sell to individual distributors around the world, um, and then manage the entire process. We have. Uh, everything from legal and business affairs, advertising, marketing, publicity, um, we track box office, we approve print counts, we approve spends, uh, and um, we actually physically manage the distribution of the elements to every distributor around the world, uh, manage the quality control for that. I, I specifically oversee post-production of our original content as well as the creation and distribution of the elements that are used to exploit the film around the world. Great. Thank you all. Um, oh, I'm sorry, and one more thing, and part of why I'm on the panel is I just produced uh, separately an, um, my own film, or independent film, and pieced together distribution in five different parts. So, um, and really wish I knew some of these guys before I did that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all. So, as you can see, everyone here has a, their, their hand in a lot of different areas, whether it's theatrical or VOD or otherwise, and, you know, about three years ago, I guess, the trend started where they would call day and date releasing, where you would release a film theatrically and on VOD at the same time. That trend has continued uh, to the point where there's now something called ultra VOD, which is releasing your film on VOD before theatrical. So I'd love you guys to talk about that, whether you think that trend is going to continue and how that's going to continue and how that all those worlds are going to keep colliding. Maybe, Joe, if you want to start since you do a little bit of everything. Yeah, in reality, in reality, it's all smokescreen. Um, it is. Um, the major players out there, the, you know, the, the studios have, and the bigger independent studios, have theatrically driven product or star driven product that and they'll put up whether it's ultra VOD, you know, before anything else. And now it's called ultra VOD, and then it'll be called ultra ultra VOD because I want to put it up even earlier. And three or four titles succeed. And we hear about them and we read about them and, and they really succeed. They make a lot of money. And the other 700 that are up on cable VOD don't. 
And that's really the reality of the situation. Um, it's, it's, if it's a good film with a great cast, that's, that's going to work. If it's an independent film that is a really good film but without a great cast, but it's still a really good film, it's going to struggle. So um, it's really tough to make that decision to go the cable VOD route if you're an independent film or an independent filmmaker because the tendency is to get lost. And so what we try to tell our filmmakers, um, because most of them are movie, movie buffs, you know, what do you watch when you go to VOD? You know, and normally they're watching, you know, the big films like everybody else is. They're not going to the, to the docs. So I think, it's, uh, I think it's great for, you know, the magnolias and the radiuses of the world. Um, but as far as when you get down to another level, um, I, think it's, I think it's a tough, it's a tough uh, nut to crack on the cable VOD side. Can I, I, I have a really different perspective because we deal with uh, films that um, do and don't get into festivals like Sundance. Um, I think the biggest challenge, as you just highlighted, that indie films face is context. So celebrity is context. Um, giant marketing budgets create context because after the, a film goes by on the 23rd side of a bus, you're like, okay, I'll see it, Christ. Um, so I think uh, one of the hardest things that indie films face is how do you get a person who has no context for your film, they don't know your name as a director, they don't know your actors, they may not have heard of the title, how do you get them to make the decision to watch your movie? Um, and at Season Spark, we think that uh, curation really matters, and we think obviously that early, early audience uh, engagement really matters. So um, in order to create context, you've got to create uh, a, a gang or a tribe or a troop, you hear all these words, used around, a wolf pack, if you will, of people who really want to see your film succeed. And they're going to go out there, and as um, Nick Gonda, the founder of Tug, is fond of quoting this statistic that one word of mouth recommendation is worth 200 television ads. Well, for my dollar as an independent filmmaker, I'm going after the word of mouth recommendations. So we think that the real challenge right now for independent films is creating context. and. Um, we ran a test in, uh, in October of something called the Fair Trade Film Festival. Um, and we had this wild notion that maybe we could get more attention for films that were done with their uh, festival run, had never done a theatrical release, and were already streaming online. So we did a film festival, a small film festival in Los Angeles for three days. We showed a short and a feature each night, all of which were streaming on Seed and Spark. Um, and what we said to the audiences who showed up, whose ticket sales um, and whose tips afterwards all went to the filmmakers. Um, after they showed up, we said, um, listen, if you liked this movie, your tweets and your Facebook posts really matter to these people materially right now because the film is available everywhere in the world. So I think one of the things that it's really the responsibility of distributors to do is to make the word of mouth recommendations valuable every single time for every uh, film that we work with. Yeah. yeah, and at Candy Factory Productions, um, that is our focus. Um, that's kind of our whole role model. And to get back to the day and date kind of concept, this is one way that you as an independent filmmaker with a film that actually you've defined your audience, you know where it is, you know how to get to them and activate them, um, you run a tug campaign. But the idea is, day and date concept, you're available on Seed and Spark, you're available on on iTunes, you're available on Netflix at the same time. Because the theater's only gonna fit so many people, and they're going to go and tell 
called their friends, and their friends are their friends because they like the same things. So if they like the movie, their friends are going to watch the movie, and, and that's, that's how we activate that. Brian, you want to talk a little bit about just getting audiences into theaters because that's you know, a lot of what you do and, and how valuable that is to the same process. You know, finding, finding films, whether it's online or finding them in theaters is really the key here and, and that's what you do. In yeah, just to tie it into what we were just talking about, I mean, certain films lend themselves to digital um, VOD and some films really play up in large audiences. You know, it's some films are just meant to be seen in theaters. Um, like she said, the word of mouth, you know, that's really what Tug is about. It's about knowing who those local influencers are. It's the curation of it. It's working with organizations who support your film. Or it's working with fans who are just crazy for that content. You know, so genre films in general, you know, they have very specific fans. Um, you know, Iron Sky is a film that we work with where those fans were just so eager for that film. And part of it is because it was just such a big tease is the way they funded it and then they just spent time on the film meticulously developing it, they released it in other countries, and then finally when they were like, do you want to see it in theaters, people were just going crazy to see it in theaters, and they became much more than just going to a movie, it was a community event, and I think that's what's really important, and that's what filmmakers are really good at, is you know, they know the film that they made, they know the audience they made the film for, and they're really good about you know, connecting with those people, and then those people are really good about sharing it with their friends, sharing it with their family, sharing it with strangers, and filling those seats for them. Andrew, what about your perspective on, I know you do mostly advertising VOD, but uh, not, all, not only. Well, we have a, a very large digital footprint, so we can go through the, you know, what we call pay and demand anywhere where a consumer pays uh, transactionally to buy a particular film. So we bundle VOD in there, subscription video on demand, electronic sell-through. Uh, but I'm going to focus uh, on what's known as free on demand or sometimes known as uh, AVOD, advertising video on demand. Because uh, I think you know, it's, it's something that you know, we were at the forefront of. Uh, we really believe in it and we're you know, going to be you know, concentrating on how to you know, really make the core mission uh, much more valuable this year. So we actually were founded by Ted Leonzas who had a, you know, he's vice chair emeritus of AOL, but he had a film uh, that he produced that premiered here. Uh, I'm not going to go through the whole, everything that, you know, led to his vision of launching Snack Films, but su suffice it to say, seven years ago, even at arguably the best sales festival in the U.S., a lot of films just didn't get distribution. And then even if they did get distribution, uh, even the best distribution, they'd, they'd land on a shelf and would be seen by the public. That, and that's not why you know, anyone makes a movie. So then we looked at you know, the whole you know, the, the landscape back then and felt like there, there are all these great independent films, there are all these great documentary films, or these great stories, period. How do you get an audience to engage with those films? And it was a very simple, theory that the way you get an audience to engage with a subject matter they may not know about or to take a chance on a film that doesn't have Angelina Jolie is to have it uh, a no barrier uh, to entry. So just a click and play experience free the consumer supported by advertising. So the supported by advertising part is important because you know, people say it's free, it's not it's TV, you know, the easiest way to think about it is TV on the web. TV's existed as a great model for decades. Uh, and so 
where it is now is obviously there are you know great you know TV everywhere platforms such as Hulu uh, that can you know really produce great revenue for you know not only TV but also films. Uh, but then you know th there's uh, you know, uh, snag films where we're dedicated to independent films and documentaries uh, and trying to build that audience um, and. You know, we, I have to admit, it's, I've been doing this for nine years, starting at AOL, uh, and uh, all these things that everyone's saying about trying to build those, the context, the community, curation, they all, <clears throat> they all come, come to play. Uh, but when you're, you know, so it's, you know, all those things come to play in a streaming platform, uh, and we try to do that, you know, with every day by you know, not only calendar events but you know, contextual events. We also own and operate IndieWire, looking at things that they're covering, and try to you know, bring that into a place where when someone comes to Snack Films, they're going to see something you know, that they're going to like or not you know, not be familiar with, and then take a deeper dive into the the broader catalog that we're showing them. It's funny it's for me, you know, you're always looking for a hook. And what you guys are doing are you're just creating a super hook. So when you've got an independent film that doesn't have the traditional hooks, the ca you know the the marketing campaign or the actor behind it, um, you know until not that long ago you just had to kind of run around and find your friends you know at a party and tell them come see my movie and tell your friends or even email which is okay but and better than that but um, still not like what. You know, has developed now into a real sophisticated uh, way of um, using social media to actually make that hook or really build a hook from just the quality of the film or the genre of the film, but in a very non-traditional sense. And it's like, it, it, it's, um, it really changes what you can do with independent film because a lot of times these things, great movies disappear but now they have a chance at a life because you're really mining it for that something special that people can hook into and then having the opportunity to put it out there. Yeah, and just a, just a quick hint for filmmakers out there, you should be thinking about that hook in pre-production, going script into production, writing. script writing. Script. Yes, we're wanting to say the same yes. thing. Yeah, really, really think about that. It's really important because even if you shift later, at least you have a direction and you know where you're going and it helps us out so much. And, and you just have to, it, it has to be done very smart. Um, so many filmmakers will throw film up on a platform um, to be streamed or something like that, or do tons of social media while they're in production or, or right when they're finished production, and, it, and it's a waste. I mean, because there's nowhere to go view the film. The filmmaker, you know, makes a movie for a whole lot of reasons, but at the end of the day, it, it, they don't make their movies for free. They've borrowed, um, they have to pay back investors, and if they don't, um, or if their film's a financial failure, it's, it's gonna be that much harder to raise money for their second film. So they need to have some kind of income coming in. So all of, those, all of the things that we're talking about, all of the social media needs to be done in a very constructive way that leads towards one date, one date, and that is a date, the first date that the film can begin to receive revenue, whether it be on iTunes or Netflix or if it goes to cable VOD route, but it had the, but all of the social media and whenever you begin it, you begin it, needs to be strategically planned uh, to hit the consumer 
when that film is available and not before. Would, would you entertain me a long-form analogy for one moment? Is that okay with you guys? Just stick with me here. It's not going to be perfect because I'm doing, I'm, this is on the fly right now. Um, uh, in order to create sort of a, a distributed, industrialized middle class in the United States, I know, just stick with me for a second. Um, we had to figure out how to distribute food all over the place really quickly. And so we created this really industrialized food system and transport system and all that stuff. And it was great. We built this middle class and then they started to get fat. And we were like, shoot, something is going wrong. Speaking of the big M, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get sued now. Um, <clears throat> what happened? Well, it turns out in the really big industrialization of the food chain, there wasn't that much food left in our food. Right? And now all of a sudden, we've seen, how many of you remember the days before Whole Foods? <laughs> three, seriously? There's three of you that remember before? Okay, good. I was like, that, that, I, I see, I'm sorry, but you're not all 19. Um, uh, in the days before Whole Foods, you had to go so far out of your way to find locally made specialty content. Um, and then Whole Foods was like, I believe that if we created a similar mechanism and we used uh, we sort of put a layer on top of the existing technologies to create a curated, highly uh, specialized food store, this would be a hit. And now, basically, Whole Foods was the technology that gave rise to the conscientious consumer class of food eaters, right? My friends have a chocolate shop in uh, Brooklyn. They make everything by hand. And getting into Whole Foods changed their business. They went from being struggling business owners to like successful middle class people on, now on baby number two, right? I believe that the new technologies in film are creating this similar um, uh, boutique uh, sort of ability to get to that very specialized, sometimes local, niche content um, in a new way. And I think what the Whole Foods thing proves, and I believe this about content, is that people will go out of their way to get to a store where all the really delicious specialty stuff is. And so Seed and Spark is one of those technologies. You, Tug absolutely is in a, in a different way, and um, we're going to talk later about how we can work together more. Um, but uh, I think the reason this analogy is important to me is because Whole Foods created the technology for all these little film, little uh, food makers to get on the shelves. But the packaging is still really important. And that belongs specifically to the brand alone. So no matter how small, no matter how tiny the kitchen in Brooklyn is where you make your specialty chocolates, the packaging has to be really beautiful so that when I go to the Whole Foods, which I am choosing to do as a conscientious consumer, I'm going to pull that box of chocolate off the shelves. Does that, that make any sense? Was that cohesive? I'm, I'm I actually love that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Stealing. Just to follow up on that, um, you know, one thing that we haven't discussed yet, which is the other side of, you know, specifically theatrical distribution, which is the movie theaters. They are just as hungry as the audience for alternative programming. They don't, especially the big chains. That's the that's the buzzword now around theaters. Is you know, first it was everyone has to go digital. Now they're doing that. Now it's how can we get new content into our theaters. You know, Alamo Drafthouse has been doing it for a few years now. Now the big chains want to start doing it. They want to be able to show these specialty shows, whether it's a documentary or it's a, you know, a 1960 repertory horror film. You know, they want to show the, that. And there's audiences out there that want to see that. So as filmmakers, you know, it's, you just have to trust that 
you have an audience out there, and the people that want to see your film, their moviegoers want wholesome content, like she was saying. And so, if it's available, and you know everyone up here is that's the goal to make that available. It's to let filmmakers make that available to give them the ability to go to those theaters without having to pay exorbitant, you know, booking fees, distribution fees. You know, that's what we try to do at Tug is take all of that hard cost out, make it to where it's demanded. If you've hit that ticket threshold, those people voted. They want to see your film and they're going to now see it on the big screen. It's interesting, you know, uh, to me one of the great things about theatrical distribution is they're live events. So it gives you a great ability to use social media. Because you go to an event, you're tweeting, you're sending your, you're, you're posting, you're doing whatever you're doing to get your stuff out to all your friends and people that are on your systems, and you're getting, you know, great, great publicity and, and marketing power, which you wouldn't otherwise get by just a, a video a VOD release. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's one of the things that is a philosophy of Candy Factory Productions. That's what we want to do. Um, as, as Brian was kind of touching on, uh, it's to us, it's not really enough to just have a Q&A and, and an experience. I mean, it's a great start, but we would really like to have an event around it, whether uh, you get bands from the soundtrack that you use for your film to actually play at an event after that. Maybe your film deals with a certain issue and you partner with a nonprofit organization that supports that issue and you have a fundraiser that occurs right after uh, the, the film. But, but the point is to really have an experience around um, seeing the film and not just see the film and maybe even more than just have a conversation about the film. And I know you guys are trying to do that too, right? Yeah, I mean, we worked with a documentary about Burning Man and those, those people really know how to make a screening into an event. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not sure who's in the audience, but I suspect there are filmmakers and producers. Um, I mean, everything that we're saying here is great, but really it, it starts with you and Unfortunately, it's going to end with you too. Very few films that succeed on digital platforms, no matter what they are, or theatrical, uh, succeed without a great producer, a great filmmaker working with whatever the platform or platforms are. So when you're thinking about that, you know, the things that you might think about, um, if you want a theatrical experience, it's going to be very, you know, much easier to get now, but not always, uh, you know, uh, going to be available. You might build in that budget as part of your production budget. You might even build a little bit of uh, you know, P&A into your budget. These things actually will help a distributor you know, be uh, more uh, receptive to taking out a film if their costs are going to be lower. Uh, so all these things you know, begin in, with the producer and ultimately distribution for an independent film, almost all of them, uh, won't end until uh, you know, maybe a year or years after the life of the film is into the market. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, one of the the great new technologies in this space is, of course, crowdfunding. Because um, crowdfunding is the first thing that movie producers have ever had where they can make money marketing. Just think about that for a second. Rather than the, like the biggest place we usually sink money in in movies is advertising, and crowdfunding allows you to make money marketing because crowdfunding makes you go out there and figure out who cares about my movie enough to um, 
take the call to action to click this thing and then take the call to action to put in their credit card data. And those are the most valuable beginning people to you. So that's been a really, really exciting innovation and it's playing out everywhere all the time. Yeah, and, and to, to back that up, you know, and, and get back to Andrew's point, that is going to require the activity of the filmmaker, the people in the film. You really have to be a part of it. Look, uh, the film that uh, we're distributing picked up, uh, Song Still Inside. Uh, Patricia Bury's here. She's the producer of the film. Um, one of the reasons that we were excited to work on her movie is because she's committed to helping us through the social media, being in the events. Look, we want to make it easy for people. We're going to create the marketing rollout plan. But we need um, the filmmakers to still be active participants um, in that plan. Actually, just have a have a question. You know, there's lots of films. I've, I'm hearing, you know, how many thousands of films get submitted to Sundance, or somebody said like twenty thousand or something. Fourteen thousand films. Everyone, you know, the festivals are selective. Everyone has to be selective. I know you guys have to be selective as well. So. I'm curious, forgive me for asking a question, not the moderator, but that process of selecting the films, we know the traditional one, you know, you're, you're, you're seeing lots of movies, et cetera, but it seems like there are, there are probably maybe differences in the kind of films that you guys can latch on to and find something in to distribute in, in the method that you're doing than say, you know, a you know, traditional studio might. And I'm just sort of curious about that, both selfishly and for the group here. We look for, you know, it's a, it's really a two-sided question. There's there's films that we distribute that we've taken on 100% to make money. Um, films that of of certain genres, whether it be horror or, or thriller or action, that you just know that you're going to be able to get it placed. You know how many DVDs you're going to be able to sell. Might not be a film that you know is 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 something of your own personal taste, but you know it's going to work because at the end of the day. It's, it's all about, you know, you're running a business as well. Same thing with the filmmakers. It's a business. That's why they call it the film business. But anyway, there's the other side. And the other side for us is, is the docs that, that, that we release. And, um, and we've been very successful with some, with some of the big ones, like Restrepo and, and I mentioned Super Size Me, a film called Bridegroom we just released. And these are docs that, that come our way and strike some kind of a chord. And we put our faith and um, all of our expertise in social media, working with the filmmaker to get the word out on these films because we believe they carry some kind of a message that might make people think. Might not make people change their mind on the subject matter and, and that's okay, but we just want them to think about what this subject matter is. And the subject matters will range from everything from the war in Afghanistan and Iraq the Soldiers Coming Home, which is a kind of a pet project of ours. We've, we've done uh, close to a dozen films about, about our returning veterans. Um, fighting cancer, gay marriage, it doesn't matter. It's, it's, you know, sometimes these films just come across your desk and you watch them and you want to try to get people involved. It doesn't always work. And sometimes the best efforts, you know, produce a loss. But at least you've tried. Um, and in working with the digital platforms um, and in working with certain retailers uh, out there that still carry DVD, the, it's getting smaller and smaller, but you can make it happen on certain films. But it does require a lot of work and it does require a lot of work from the filmmaker because it's your baby, not, not ours.
Yeah, somebody said it earlier about being boutique. Um, that really is our philosophy. And the hard work that has to go into that, you know, we talk about the, the lower cost of social media, the lower cost of trying to do these things. Yeah, they cost less, but they require a ton of work. Crowdfunding requires a ton of work. Um, but so with all that in mind, we really are looking for films that really do kickstart some greater conversation with an issue. They raise social, a social issue, an ecological issue, um, and that can be a narrative film. It doesn't have to be a doc. A lot of good narratives uh, kickstart discussions about that. Um, so that is what we're looking for. And without that hook, without, without that boutique, you know, kind of curated audience, um, you know, that's what we're looking for. Yeah, we, um, because a lot of the curation we do happens at the, at the crowdfunding stage, so oftentimes we're, we're curating, so if you crowdfund on Seed and Spark, you're guaranteed a spot on distribution, but we also um, pick up films just for distribution. Um, but on the crowdfunding side, we always say it's who, what, and why, right? So who is the team and does it match the scope of the project? It could be one person shooting a really personal documentary, or it could be a team of seven shooting a much bigger film. Um, what is, is simply like, can I, can I explain to you what this thing is and does the video help the audience understand what it is? And the why is absolutely the most important. Do I have a passionate story about why I'm doing this such that anyone should want to get involved with me? And that is genre agnostic and that's content agnostic. If you have a really compelling story about why you're doing this that really matters to you, it's going to speak to other people. And that really helps you answer the question of where is my audience and how do I reach them? What inspires them? Um, and the best innovations that we're seeing in this in ways of audience reaching, they're not coming from the distributors. They're coming from the filmmakers. I, with all due respect, gentlemen, I seriously. But, but really, the, the best stuff that we've seen, I mean, if you don't know the story of Dear White People, go out and educate yourself about what Justin Simeon did from the very beginning, starting a Twitter account in the voice of his female main character to test concepts for the script. And he wrote a script based on how people reacted to his main character's fake persona on Twitter. And that built an enormous following that he was able to leverage into a crowdfunding campaign that I think he wanted to raise 25,000 for a concept trailer. I think he raised, or sorry, he wanted to raise, he, he, he made an amazing, he used his tax return to make an amazing concept trailer, but needed to raise money to make a teaser that he could really go out and pitch big investors with. And he wanted to raise, I think, 25,000. I think they raised 40. Um, and then he's gone on to be the buzz of the festival. Why? Because there's 6,000 people who really care about this movie before it hit Sundance, before it was accepted to Sundance. And that's really important lesson. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. So we talked a little bit earlier about uh, producers having to think about distribution when they're writing their script and they're in development uh, before they even start producing the movie. At what point do producers need to, should be talking to you guys? How early in the process should they be looking at to find and talk to distributors? Yeah, we would love to just consult, have a conversation in pre-production when you're really thinking about, just to help, you know, think about what, what type of audience is going to enjoy your content, where are you going right now? Um, you know, there's, there's just some things that we can discuss at that point that can really help them prepare. You know, if you're going to do a crowdfunding campaign, what kind of material are you going to do? What is, what's going to be your giveaways? Is there something special for that? And uh, I think it's really important. That's when we really want to talk to them. We talk to them 
you know, in development usually. I'll be the anti up here. Um, I don't want to talk to you while you're making your movie. <laughs> I want you to make your movie without any, without any, anything else going into your mind. Make your movie without preconceived notions on how you're gonna, how you're going. You know, I, I want to change a line because I might be able to market it this way. I want to change the scene because that's not, you know, I, that gets into the filmmaking process. Um, I want to see your movie when it's done, and then I want to start talking to you about how to how to market it. Um, you're already going to have ideas, but um, I, for us, we want to see them when they're, when they're done. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it really depends. Obviously, for, for Tug, we want to be able to inform filmmakers, you know, the best uses of how to use our platform, you know, while they're in pre-production, but at the same time, sometimes it makes more sense for them to just bunk, hunker down and focus on their film. And, it, and it's also what, what they're looking for. If they're looking to get a distribution deal and kind of walk away and go work on their next film, then you know, we're going to want to talk to the distributor. If they're looking to really nurture the film themselves and t you know, hold the reins the entire time, and maybe that means that they're looking for a digital distributor, and then they're going to run with their own theatrical 30-city you know, tour, 15-city tour, that's, that's, that's awesome, and we love that. And, and, and that's the case. We want to talk to you early on, and we want to you know, work with you on developing you know, organizational support, identifying who your audience is, and who within that audience is going to be your, you know, your champion. They're the ones that are going to be setting these screenings, hosting these screenings. And it's, it, you know, it's identifying what your goal is, and then it's making sure that you're able to place your goal wherever you're going, whether it's distribution, self-distribution, or digital. Um, and at Film Nation, as a traditional uh, international sales agent, um, it can totally vary. We, we can have conversations very early on. I mean, a lot of independent films may not have that market internationally, but you know, there's the you know, genre-driven. Um, sometimes a cast member can make a difference between whether there's any viability internationally or not. Sometimes, and it, it, there's sort of no, there's really no intuitive way to understand that. Uh, you can, you know, uh, other than a superstar, you can think this actor is great, everyone knows him, and he's got no value internationally. And you can have somebody that you think is, you know, an okay actor, and for some reason he's huge in France. I mean, you just, you just don't know. And so th those, those, those are early conversations as you're thinking about casting. Um, there are some. There's some content that just isn't going to play. Uh, the, I, I produced a film, um, getting really nice response, and we've got our iTunes and our Netflix and our Hulu, and we're going out through Sundance, our services, and it's great, and I work for an international sales company, and we can't distribute my movie. It just There isn't a place for it. It just doesn't, it's very sweet, very small, very domestic, um, and there isn't that play. But, you know, but we'll look at any point in the process, as well as, look, obviously, we have people here at Sundance looking at finished films, um, that also might make sense, uh, you know, to pick up or to become a sales agent for. So it's across the board for us. I originally came from development, and I was fortunate to work with a wonderful producer uh, named Alexis Oxanian. And when we used to have meetings in development, she would, you know, sit down with a producer, a filmmaker, and the first question always is, "What is your dream?" Um, and so when I think about that in, in distribution, I don't necessarily, you know, I start with that concept, but it, it's really going to be with each filmmaker, each producer, what is your goal? I mean, we work with a lot of um, uh, films that are older, that are sitting on a shelf. Uh, maybe they just want to, you know, be available to the public so they can point people to get their films. Uh, we work, you know, with a lot of, you know, exclusive content where you can only find certain um, independent films on our 
on our platform. Uh, and I always, you know, I truly want to understand what the filmmaker and the producer's goal is, and then I can, you know, sort of guide them, you know, where where free streaming fits. I mean, people think it's the window that's usually after, you know, all uh, pay-in-demand transactional platforms, and traditionally that's true, but we're seeing a trend right now where even from major, some of the biggest media companies are coming to us with you know great films, but you know maybe a little bit more niche, and they want us to have an exclusive window, maybe for a week, two weeks, a month. Um, so we're experimenting with that just to have a live stream of that, where you can have a lot of social interaction um, with that streaming. Uh, we have tools that help that. So again, it's really, I mean, one thing about New York is an incredible place to be an independent filmmaker and distributor. Uh, Steven said, we're very collaborative. It's an amazing place. We're all here. We're very easy to talk to. And it's, you know, just get, getting knowledgeable about the players, how it works, and it's easy to do. The comment was, um, uh, you know, that, that when, when distributors kind of get involved with the process, um, don't cut, sell it short. Any, any moment we can really help uh, market the film in a unique way and actually help you sell out your film festivals. I mean, that's a great point, too. I really would love to talk to filmmakers before you do your film festival run, especially if you have one of those movies, right? You don't have the stars. Uh, you may have an issue that you want to talk about. We're interested in the film. You haven't started your film festival run. What, what does, and we have a panel about film festivals Tuesday at 3, so I don't want to step on that too much. You guys should come back for Tuesday at 3. But, um, but the idea is there are other ways to use film festivals to actually build an audience uh, for your film and start that networking out. Um, and, and you're right. It, when I say I want to talk to filmmakers in pre-production about, you know, thoughts about what their film means and where it wants to go, they're suggestions. They're just to get them thinking about it a little bit. Really shouldn't affect your content, your content creators, create your content, do that thing. But, um, but as long as you're thinking about it, you might, you might really think about some of the things you'll do behind the scenes, right? Some of the interviews you'll do, some of the stills you'll do. Maybe you'll think about your graphics uh, that you're going to be putting up on Facebook and on, on Twitter um, a little bit more so that it's more marketable. I was going to say that's an incredible point, um, that ancillary material that allows the exploitation of your film afterwards. Uh, it doesn't take a whole lot of extra time to go, let me point the camera the other way for a second. Let me take a second and just, you know, grab my little, uh, my iPhone or what my iPad and do a quick interview with cast members. Um, oh, hey, look, someone's visiting the set. Um, you know, or one of my cast members is doing an interview. Let me get some B-roll of that. You don't need a lot, but you need something because everyone is just crying for that extra material. And I'll just sort of say this, my, my little film, you know, we've got all of these different outlets. We're also doing a direct sale on the website, and what we're doing to drive that is, we, Paul Thomas Anderson hosted a Q&A for us, like a year ago at the Arrow in Santa Monica. He liked the film, and so he said, I'll do this, which was great. It got, got notoriety, and people heard of it, and we recorded it. And now that is value-added material to help drive people to the website and open up, yes, you know, for $9.99, you can buy it for another three bucks, you can get this, and you know, and those things are really valuable, whether they happen during or after. 
document it. We're in a world of doc. People like to document what they're doing, but remember it, think about it. It's really important. Yeah, I just have to add to that really quickly. Don't sell short documenting your workflow, right? Your camera equipment that you're using, how you're actually doing your shooting. Because people are, you know, Mike, come on, we're, we're obsessed with the workflow. We're obsessed with that production stuff. And if somebody posts about it, I want to see it. Um, so anyway. I'm just going to add on to that and say something that Emily pointed to about packaging. Uh, I mean, truly, if you don't have amazing artwork, forget it. You're not going to succeed in digital. I'm not just saying it because you won't succeed, but some of the biggest platforms won't even, you know, won't even take it without the, you know, the best artwork, um, high depth. Uh, and then if you do go onto a platform without it, they're not going to promote you. So your artwork is key in the digital world. We, we uh, yeah, we're getting towards the end. So let's take some questions. Sorry, I have a post magazine. I have a quick question. Uh, last week's net neutrality ruling. Um, how does it affect content on the internet? Most people were, a lot of the big players out there were most likely gonna, you know, take over the bandwidth, and uh, independent filmmakers were getting you know, smaller and smaller sort of uh, playing field. Yeah, so it's a, the question is about the, the effect of net neutrality or the lack thereof. Ooh. Yeah, the ruling. Explain that. Uh, uh, you want me to, uh, yeah, why don't we let the lawyer explain yeah. the ruling and so, then I will talk about Very briefly, uh, the net neutrality ruling basically said that you don't need to be net neutral anymore and, and companies can uh, prefer certain content over others. Uh, I'm actually Mark Sternberg. I'm with uh, Dogfish Accelerator and Pictures. Um, but one of the other issues that's also going on, it's going to be more more of an issue for some of like Netflix and some of the uh, VOD platforms is also throttling. So it's not only that you won't be able to find it, but when you know when these ISPs see that there's a lot of web traffic going on, I think right now Netflix is like almost half of all web traffic. It's Thirty-five like, percent of U.S. web use. Yeah. So it's huge. So what they're trying to do is is they want to make it so um, particularly there's issues with like you know cable companies who don't want to see Netflix compete with them. And the issue is is that they're going to try and throttle Netflix, who they're starting to see as a competitor. I mean, you know, you saw even with the awards recently that they're starting to win. So what they're going to do is they're going to throttle. They're going to make it harder for you guys to get good quality signal from VOD platforms. It's going to be harder to get it. They're going to throttle it. And what that'll end up doing is making it steering traffic away from some of these VOD platforms that, you know, might better serve our community towards you know their own preferred providers well there's been a lot of talk about self-distribution uh, actually putting your film on your website and using companies like gumroad to actually stream your film yourself uh, can't afford the broadband uh, you shot a 4k movie you have it so that it can be an HD streaming it's never going to stream HD in that in that type of market yeah I think so I have a I maybe have an unreasonable because I, I've I have a tech company and I spend an unreasonable amount of time around really smart people who believe they have the answers to the world um, and that sort of it gives you a, a sort of an unfair sense of um, what might be possible. I think there are enough really incredibly smart innovators out there who like um, this is a sort of a strange example, but like Dwala was like, hey, regular banking systems, actually we don't need all these fees um, in a world where we have this super interconnectivity. Um, I, I, I have to believe that, that we're going to find ways around this quickly because, um, 
you cannot um, stifle the power of the end user's desire to find stuff. And as long as people still want 35% of Americans, or sorry, excuse me, 100% of Americans wanting to spend 35% of their time on Netflix, um, it's, it just won't, I, I, I have to believe it just simply won't stand. Do you offer any solutions? Uh, so, so I would say uh, get active right now. If you care about independent film, we're get out there. On February, uh, for the sorry, for the um, we're we're joining everybody on. I think it's February fifteenth, might be thirteenth. Um, there's a whole lot of people on the internet taking a stand against this ruling, um, and certainly Seed and Spark and and Bright Ideas will be participating in that. So activism. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. So yeah. we, we probably have time for one or two more questions. About you want to find a filmmaker to help you make a documentary? Yeah. Okay. There are so many rad communities where this is available, and there is no shortage of filmmakers looking for great subject matter. Um, if you are online um, on Twitter, for example, um, there you can um, get through. I mean, I, I would actually honestly start with the really, really... Um, uh, rabid screenwriting community online, and you can find them at at hashtag at certain hashtags. Um, there's also everywhere in every city meetups of filmmakers um, where you can find that community. And um, on Seed and Spark, we connect people all the time. So um, you're welcome to reach out to us and and tell us a little bit more about what you're doing, and we'll we'll put you in touch with some of our filmmakers. Uh, any quite other questions right here? Yeah, so this is a distribution panel, and as an indie, as an indie filmmaker with those stars, uh, and knowing that, via, that uh, theatrical is mostly a lost leader, except maybe in Doug's case. Um, really, DVD's dying, so it's not likely to be much money if any deals there. Really, VOD is really where it's at in terms of actually a revenue model. So, uh, is it right that just, I just want to say, so it's iTunes, it's Netflix, it's uh, cable VOD, which sounds like if you don't have stars, probably not going to be a chance. Is it that grim, or is there something I'm missing? Steven Spark. No, there's, yeah. there's yeah. I guess Spark, the question is VHX. Oh, no, there's a whole lot of places. There's a, there's a million places to see movies online. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, um, it all depends. Uh, listen, they all bring in revenue, but you know, it's 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 you know, Blockbuster used to be the big the big guy, and then it was everybody else, and and now you know it's it's really depending on what type of film you have. It's Netflix, it's iTunes, it's Amazon, it's Google, YouTube, it's Cinema Now, it's Vudu, it's your own site, it's the other sites that people have been talking about. And I think what we're saying is the best way to make that revenue is to get your film seen across as many platforms as you can. But the only way to do that is to apply the needed social media and do everything you need to do before that film becomes available. Um, there, I mean, there's a lot of digital distributors out there that work off of basically an NMG with the filmmaker. Um, that being said, theatrical can lend itself to that. We have a lot of films that come to us. And they say, we really want to just do 10 markets, um, 15 markets. By doing 10, 15 markets, by utilizing their audience or just using their cast and crew, they're able to secure those digital deals where that's where, where they see the real money come in because there are things such as premium VOD. There's that in theaters now tag that you can get simply by ho holding 10 cast and crew screenings across the US. 10, oh, sorry. Is it 15 now? Uh, we, got, we were notified by Comcast and the man last week that the parameters are now those 15 cities and a million dollars box office. But also, I would say it's harder and harder. Um, there are there are some like there's there's deals. 
There's certain deals within deals where you find someone who helps broker your deals with your Netflix, et cetera, um, where the, there's thresholds that are lower. Um, you know, there's, there's Netflix deals where they pay a certain amount, but if the box office is over a certain amount, it's not even huge depending upon the deals you make. That, yeah. that guarantee goes up. Yeah, but, but please keep in mind, it's two completely different businesses. It's not the same business. It's cable VOD, and then it's all your digital platforms. And cable VOD is, is here, and then Netflix and iTunes and everybody else where you can actually make some money is, is here. Um, so and where you can actually make some money is more important than you just gave that, I think. So I, I think one of the challenges right now is um, you could even you could be on a lot of different platforms and still not make money depending on what deals you do. And I think um, I I actually feel a little bit guilty sitting on a distribution panel. Um, one because I'm really new to the business; these guys have combined more experience than I have years alive. Um, number one, but number two is that no, it's no, no, no. You have more experience combined. <laughs> Sensitive crowd. Um, I, I think we really have to change the way that we think about film distribution, like radically. Okay, it is not about getting into Sundance and hoping that you get picked up and getting out there. That is winning the lottery. That is the statistical near equivalent of winning the lottery. So. Let's just put that in a different category along with, you know, VOD. If you want to make money on your films, you have to have a direct connection with your audience from the very first time you think about making a film throughout your entire career. And you should you should be more like a rock star than a filmmaker. They should know as a producer, as a screenwriter, as a director who you are and what your optic is on the world cuz that's what they're following. So n honestly, none of us can do anything magical um, unless you really have, a, and I'm talking about it for your bottom line, right? Like wh whether Netflix makes money, like uh, they're they're printing it, it, well, and then spending it all on licensing content. But um, they, you know, Netflix will make money; they'll take care of themselves. But filmmakers have to be responsible for their own bottom line, and the only way to do it is by coming to the table with your own engaged audience and distribute, and then and then you get to pick. You could walk to the table um, with a huge engaged audience um, with Sony Picture Classics and say, look, I got 10,000 followers who are ready to buy this thing tomorrow. I want you to give me a better deal on these terms. Um, you, the, you come to the table with audience, you get to choose, and you get to keep your money. That's, I, I, so I just think it's a different way of thinking and, about it. I mean, I think that is a great point, and the corollary sort of business part of that uh, that you have to keep in mind is control your rights. Know what the rights are, know what you can carve out, know what you can own. Um, don't give it all away. First of all, those give it all away days, you know, mostly are, are over, as you said, that's to win the lottery. But, you know, when you make that deal with whatever iTunes, you know, car you know, work to carve out. I can also sell this myself through my direct sales on my own website. I mean, those are, and I can, you know, add content, etc. Those little bits of rights help you leverage all the other stuff that's going on and then make some additional funding and maybe you got a better deal. Maybe on your own, own website you're making 90% of it instead of 75% of it or, or other numbers. Yeah, and, and you know, really understand a little bit about the marketplace before you start making your movie. Manage your expectations on what that income means. And, not, you know, just to throw something crazy out there, you make a $3 million movie, no stars, no issues, 
You're losing money. You're going to lose money from the beginning. You're never going to make that back. You have to be realistic about the cost of your film, what you're doing it for, and what you may recoup on the other end. Don't, don't look at paranormal activity as the one you're going to do. Yeah, That's no. the super Speaking yeah. of printing money. <laughs> uh, well, I think we're just about out of time. So I want to thank all the panelists. I thought it was a great discussion. Um, and just to remind everybody, at 3 o'clock, we have the uh, visual effects panel. And at 4.30, we have our live music Cider House session. So hopefully you all come back for all that and hope you enjoyed the program. Thanks. <laughs>